UMGoBlue.com. By fans, for fans, since 1999. Hello, welcome to this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with... Clint Terringer. And we have a lot to talk about this week. Uh, first, Josh Ross met with the media and had some interesting things to say. All right, our next question comes from Aaron McMahon. Go ahead, Aaron. Josh, could you go into your decision to come back for another year and uh, did the changes of the defensive staff uh, give you any pause about coming back? Um, so my decision on coming back, uh, it was uh, unfinished business. Um, that was you know, pretty obvious. Last year was not good enough for myself and not good enough for our team. And I felt it, I had to come back. You know what I'm saying? I had to come back and we have to prove something and have a chip on our shoulder and go get it. And uh, that was my main reasons. I didn't know um, before I made my decision on coming back, I didn't know what coaches we were getting yet. But um, before all that, uh, of course, it was a blessing to get the guys we have in, in staff now. But at the same time, for me, coming back was just about proving myself, proving Proving myself and proving ourselves as a team and getting better and um, and just building our football knowledge and building everything because last year wasn't good enough. All right, our next question comes from Angelique. Go ahead, Angelique. Josh, you, you mentioned wanting to prove yourself. What is it you want to prove? And, and also, when you think about it, you really haven't played a lot of football since yeah. the 2019 season. Is that part of it? Um, More so just... Just as a team last year, you know, it was a disappointment. Um, it was, it was a lot of, uh, plays and it, it just, just a lot left on the field. I would say just as a team that, you know, I wanted to come back and, and improve and come back and get that back. And, uh, just, just as far as with myself, just, I, I mean, I feel like I haven't really, you know, show everything I can do yet, but more so not about myself as a team. We haven't really showed what we really, really can do yet. And. <laughs> This year is going to be big for us, and this spring ball has been very big for us, and uh, it's been very exciting and very fun. So I'm looking forward to it. What are what are the things that you can do that you you don't think you've shown enough of? Um, just uh, just as far as myself, just just growing and learning and, and becoming the best player I possibly can become every single day. Um, I would say, like I said before, and I'm gonna repeat it: like last year wasn't good enough at all as a team. It wasn't. And I felt that for myself a lot. Um, so I had to come back. It was no, it was no option to be honest for me. All right. Our next question comes from Zach Shaw. Go ahead, Zach. Josh, in a, in a similar vein, as a captain, what what does uh, you and the rest of the team? What do you guys need to do this spring? I know you can't win the games this spring, but I guess what do you? hoping to accomplish as a team and, and I guess what are some of your goals for this spring as a, yeah. as a yeah I mean just overall theme of, of everything is just you know coming to the building every single day looking to get better looking to compete and have fun with it and uh, that was our biggest thing um just just with our this spring ball um it's been it's been going really well and uh guys are you can see it like you can feel the energy in practice you can you can just feel the competition just just everything you can feel it you know what I'm saying? So our main thing, just just with me as a captain, uh, with us this year, especially with this spring ball, is just literally come in this building, ready to work every single day, have fun with it, and let's and let's get better and take every day and, and approach it the same every way, every day, every way, and and come with that same energy of I want to become the best possible player I can become today. I want to get better in something today. I want to do something, 
you know, new today. I want to, I want to learn today, like having that energy every day and just, and just bringing it every single day. And, um, we're going, we're going to be good. Next, we'll go to Austin Meek. Go ahead, Austin. Yeah. Hey, Josh, I'm curious, uh, with Coach McDonald coming over from the Ravens, how much have you studied the Ravens? Do you, do you watch film of them at all? Do you talk about them? Uh, is, you know, is there anybody you can think of in their scheme who maybe fills kind of a similar role to what you'll do in this defense? Yeah. Um, that's funny. We do watch, you know, we watch a lot of Ravens tape. Um, I'm not going to get into any specifics or anything like that, but we watch a lot of Ravens tape and, uh, it's been really helpful. I'm just privileged to have, you know, a coach like Mike McDonald, uh, Mike McDonald here. Um, uh, he brings so much great energy, a young guy, you know, easy to talk to. Um, and it's just like, I'm just happy to have him, have him here at Michigan. Um, and I'm happy to, you know, keep learning and growing, um, from an NFL scheme to get better, um, and, and progress into next year. Are there things you can learn from watching the Ravens? Like things you take away when you, when you watch them on film? Yeah, it's definitely some things we take away. Um, but at the end of the day, like we're still us, you know what I'm saying? And we're still building what we have here. And, uh, it's going to be just wait. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be good to see. Does the Viper position still exist no. in, in practices? Okay. <laughs> Do they call it something else or is he just? No specifics, now. but no Viper. Okay, thanks. So, Clint, what did you think about uh, some of the things that Josh had to say? I think first and foremost, he sounds like a leader. You know, he's been named uh, a leader in past seasons uh, on that defense. Uh, you know, a senior captain um, this year. So, I think he he sounds the part. And uh, I, I was kind of struck also that he's really he's taken on a lot of the same uh, philosophical kind of quips that we usually hear from from Jim Harbaugh, you know, getting better every day, uh, attacking each day, uh, you know, bringing the right attitude into the building. Um, so I, th- I think it kind of shows uh, who, you know, who is directly in alignment with uh, the vision that we've talked about in the past with Harbaugh. And that uh, Josh Ross is definitely one of those guys. Um, and he also echoed a lot of um, what we've talked about from the from the perspective of the fan base, just being, you know, so utterly disappointed with the results from the 2020 season, and and how some frustration from the last few years uh, really boiled over in, in a year that was absolutely unacceptable. And I think uh, Josh Ross was pretty clear you know, mentioning those things directly as well, you know, that it just plain and simple was not good enough, wasn't good enough for him individually and uh, wasn't good enough for a Michigan football program. And uh, I, I, I would say that I agree wholeheartedly. You know, it's interesting how satisfying it is to hear, for me personally, to hear a player acknowledge how we feel, right? And, you know, one of the things he said is he's like, listen, it, it just wasn't good enough. And, Sometimes um, when you hear players and coaches talk, it sounds almost like a talking point. Like they're just kind of, yeah, wasn't good enough. We're going to go back. It really struck me how passionate he was in his uh, repudiation of last year. And uh, again, it was, it was, I was, I'm glad I heard it. Right. It, it made me feel good because I know you and I felt that way. And, and, and it's kind of the elephant in the room, right? Um, we have the players 
talking about the new coaches coming in, talking about their expectations, talking about how spring practice is going. But, you know, the way last season went is just just hugely unsatisfying, right? And I think back to, uh, you know, Rich Rodriguez's first year, right, where, you know, Michigan had a 33-year bowl streak broke and and just how how jarring that was, right? And when you think about last year, of course, COVID was a was a was definitely you know threw a wrench in the works, and definitely uh, you know not only in the sports landscape but you know nationally in a lot of different things. But you know, really looked forward to having some entertainment from you know the Michigan football team and. Just to have it turn out so poorly, um, so I, I like that he mentioned that. I also liked, and, and I thought this was really key that, you know, he said he decided to come back before the coaching staff was even locked in. You know, he had made the decision that, you know, no matter what, he's coming back. And and listen, we can go back and forth on, you know, if he'd, you know, if if he was a highly rated prospect, would he have come back? You know, if, if he was going to be, you know, a number, a, a top five draft pick. Um, and obviously that that's not the case. But I thought it was interesting to hear from somebody, especially a captain, that, hey, listen, I was coming back. You know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, try to clean this up. And, and, and I thought that was refreshing to hear. Yeah, I think that the question that we heard was about whether uh, any part of his decision was kind of linked to, the question marks around the defensive coaching staff as uh, you know, Don Brown left and a new coordinator and new staff were assembled. And, uh, you know, it, it was, you know, pretty clear that Josh Ross knew he was coming back um, to try to correct some of the wrongs. Again, for him individually as a player and also as a leader of a program that has higher expectations. So um, regardless of who the coaches were going to be, he was coming back. He made that decision. And even communicated that, uh, you know, it was well before all those question marks were even public that he he had made that choice. So, um, I mean, he's in 100%, has been for a long time, and and like I said, sounds like it. And uh, I'm sure uh, he's a a sharp pair of eyes in terms of, um, you know, players holding each other and themselves accountable. I I like what I hear from from Josh Ross in terms of leadership, um, again, in a period of the season here in spring when when that can count uh, as much as any other time of the season because the players really are pushing themselves and pushing their position groups um, as much if not more than the coaches as we head into this offseason no doubt another thing that he relayed is that the uh, the very famous highly regarded viper position that was so important uh, and discussed mightily under Don Brown has uh, has left the scene, so uh, I know uh, that was one of the things people were wondering is if the terminology was just going to change and and the position would stay. But he was very clear that uh, that the Vipers is 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 uh, is gone with Don Brown. So um, going to be interesting to see how the defense shapes up. He mentioned that uh, you know in one part of the interview he mentioned that. They were watching a lot of uh, Ravens game tape, and uh, going to be interesting to see how uh, 
the principles that Mike McDonald brings from the NFL translates to the college game and um, you know how you map uh, collegiate talent to NFL talent in schemes to to be able to get things done yeah that's that's a big part of the challenge for sure on on this defense and there's you know I think it's becoming more and more clear that it's going to be um, you know there are going to be some growing pains um, it, it's a major shift again the, that pivotal role uh, for Don Brown's defense being the Viper, think of it as obviously as a hybrid between the safety and the linebacker position. And there, there are even more hybrids in this new version of the defense from what we can tell, but not hybrids of those two position groups. The hybrids are more corner safety hybrids and also defensive end, edge rusher, outside linebacker hybrids. So the, it's not, it's, there's more flexibility and more hybrid style players, I think, than what we're going to see. But uh, the types of players that are then meshed together uh, seem to be a little bit different than, than what we've seen before. So I think personnel-wise, um, there, there's a lot of those types of players to fit what, the, what Mike McDonald's going to bring, I believe. I think there are a lot of hybrid linebacker and edge rush guys. I think your best defensive player... Aiden Hutchinson might be a, a guy that kind of shines in that that style um, and role. So it will be interesting. Um, obviously, the, the biggest challenge to improve on last year is coverage. So it's really, you know, who is going to emerge in those in, in the defensive backfield in in some of those new roles and new uh, attacking schemes. That's uh, that's what's going to make the biggest difference, I think, in terms of wins and losses. You know, one thing that was impressed upon me listening is that I can see how a system like this will be a draw for top-tier guys who were hoping to make the transition easier to the NFL, right? Is that, as you said, there are going to be uh, multiple hybrid positions, guys shifting from, you know, depending on one formation, one look to the other shifting from position to position. And you see that a lot in the NFL in the top defenses. So I'm wondering, um, you know, we've kind of, we've kind of talked a lot about what Jim Harbaugh had in mind when he was recalculating and retuning his coaching staff. And I think that, um, you know, ultimately all comes down to recruiting, right? Everything is about recruiting. And I wonder if, what we're seeing in this defensive philosophy is also a uh, uh, a calculated adjustment to hopefully bring in higher tier players so that, that Michigan can compete with Ohio State uh, and and hopefully uh, you know compete in, against other teams in the college football playoffs. Yeah, that that definitely is going to play a role. And I think that that's a strength for, again, Michigan's recruiting over the Harbaugh era has been the, the pipeline to the NFL. They've had success on NFL draft day. So this uh, is kind of padding that strength right now. I'm sure that um, the, the link to NFL terminology and systems and being able to show NFL tape, and this is what you'll be doing. This is the guy that I see. When I think of you, those types of conversations, um, I think all coaches do that and, and, and try to paint that picture for the highest level recruits. 
Um, but again, this is, you know, real tangible evidence that this is what we did when I was in the NFL coaching, you know, a very successful NFL defense in Baltimore. This is how we prepared, um, for quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson, um, you know, a Heisman winner. So they, they understand, uh, I think where those highest, uh, highest end prospects are, are thinking and, and where they want to be, obviously as their college career winds down and they're looking at the NFL. So they're going to be really hammering that even more so based on um, these adjustments and and bringing on more coaches to the staff and in support roles that have, have been an NFL role. So we'll see. um, We'll see how effective it is, especially early in the season. If, if they can make a quick transition and have success right away, then um, that would be amazing. You know, but I, I expect there to be a little bit of a, of a learning curve and some hiccups, uh, especially early on. You know, another thing that multiple players have mentioned is that, you know, there's there's more of an energy to practice. There's more of a, of an element of fun and competition. And I wonder how that relates to the uh, to the grind of the NFL, because, you know, one of the things, um, you know, when you talk. You, know, you have an opportunity to talk to players who have gone on from success in the, the collegiate ranks to uh, the pro ranks. And one of the things they mentioned, you know, almost universally is, hey, listen, it's a job. You're at it practically every day. Um, you have a much longer season. You have a preseason. You have off-season workouts. And, and uh, again, ignoring the blip of COVID, uh, you know, which, which transformed everything, Um I wonder if that element of fun and competition is something that um, is going to, uh, again, is is more of something they've tried to bring from the NFL ranks to energize what these guys are doing at the collegiate ranks. And, you know, I think uh, it'll be interesting, um, you know, if, uh, if that's something that Mike McDonald uh, actually uh, wanted to do, wanted to bring, right? Um, but it's definitely interesting to hear the players talking about that. Um, you know, you you have uh, you have a younger coach, and it's easier for them to relate to younger players, right? You know, they you know there was one quote where, hey, when a, when you have a coach in the 30s, in his 30s, he can remember 21 a lot easier than you know guys who are older. So it's inter- It'll be interesting to see if if that. You know, again, if that's something that can can show itself on the field, because, you know, as we mentioned in our lot in our last podcast, um, Michigan has high recruiting classes and then they have success on draft day and, you know, for the NFL. And then you kind of wonder what's happening in between. Right. That there seems to be some kind of a disconnect between success on the field. Um, And uh, so, again, it's just going to be, you know, something to watch as we see this kind of reboot on the fly by, by Jim Harbaugh with this new staff. Yeah, and it's something that I'm glad that we are hearing. I, it's been kind of ad nauseum about the, the increased energy and and more fun at practice and competition. Um, but again, it's a key point because I think it was something that was sorely lacking when, uh, when adversity hit last year in the 2020 season. Um, the wind came out of the sails pretty quickly as games started to get, um, you know, you started to get behind and, and there were some uh, less than successful plays. Uh, that team seemed like there there were some 
um, some problems kind of manufacturing your own energy and to be able to fight back. So um, it's it's clearly being addressed um, early on here in the spring and, and going into the off season. So that's it's good to hear. I think they're attacking something that's a, that was a major problem last year. You know, and that's one of the issues, right, is that, you know, a plan is what you have until you until you meet adversity. And last year, uh, you know, Michigan State dealt them some major adversity, hugely unexpected. And, uh, you know, they kind of put them in a tailspin, I think, for the rest of the season. So what I'm wondering is, you know, I keep hearing players talking about fun. You know what's fun? Winning on Saturdays. You know what's really fun? I remember beating Ohio State. <laughs> so I'm hoping that that uh, the fun translates into fun uh, on the during the games. Because uh, after uh, after last season and and everything that we've gone through COVID, I'm really looking forward to uh, to a full season and hopefully uh, seeing Michigan get on track and having more success. Yeah, one more you know, slightly you know, different angle on, on what we heard there with competition and practice and, and an NFL job like uh, atmosphere, you know, there, there may be some more fluidity on the depth chart. You know, there may be some more opportunity for young uh, unproven players who are coming in um, to, to kind of grow quickly as, uh, as the fall season starts. And, and we'll see, if there is more uh, movement between the first stringers and the second stringers um, as this, this coming season goes to where maybe they're, they're reevaluating their depth chart uh, more in real time. Cause it seemed in the past that, um, you know, older players um, and guys that had earned the starting job early in the season kind of held that for a long time. Um, and, and there were questions about where, why don't we see some of these younger guys that uh, that we hear positive things about? We don't get to see them on Saturdays in uh, in meaningful roles. So I think that's another thing to look at. If uh, if maybe there's a culture now of opening up those inter position um, competitions within the position group. So that's it's one other thing that you and I can keep an eye on. You know, Clint, I think that's a great point. Um, I've always wondered, it, okay, so Coach Harbaugh will say, you know, you compete for every position. Every position is, is up, for grads, up for grabs every day, right? But it sure hasn't seemed like it in all cases. And, you know, I struggle with that. If coaches see everything in practice, they watch the tape from practice. I know the, the coaches know the players better than we do. But when you see players struggling, um, it seems like it would be a good opportunity to see what some of the younger players can do and especially kind of get those, uh, you know, get them time on the field, right? So, and it's interesting because, you know, one of the positions we kind of beat into the ground is, you know, uh, Michigan, if you look back historically, Michigan's always needed two or three quarterbacks every year, right? And you'd wonder why you wouldn't see some of the guys uh, lower in the depth chart get opportunities, uh, you know, with a big lead. And the counter to that is, well, you need to get the main guy experience too, right? Well, again, it's it's one thing to make that argument at the quarterback position, but when you have uh, position groups that have struggled in the past or or seem to have a fair amount of depth, 
it seems like it would make sense to see more guys in, more opportunities. And uh, it'll be interesting in this new scheme that Mike McDonald's bringing in. Um, that is uh, one of the things you, you see in the NFL at times. You see more players rotated through. Um, sometimes it's due to injury, but when you have a longer season, you need to have more guys ready. So that's one thing that I'm interested to see if, if, uh, if we see that, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and, and the hybrid, those things come together, right, where there's hybrid styles, right? If you're taking, a, if there's a position that's a hybrid between, let's say, corner and safety, right, and, and you have a, a guy who's kind of a base corner and a guy who's kind of a base safety, and they're both on that depth chart, right, you, you get more flexibility. Maybe this guy does a certain thing uh, well, right, covers the deep ball well. The other guy is a better tackler. So based on game situation, you, you earn some flexibility um, if, if you're kind of more fluid in that depth charting and getting more guys onto the field. So, again, it's, it's something that's interesting to think about, and uh, I'm sure that the new staff is, is trying to figure out how to give themselves as many options and as many tools in the tool belt as possible. Absolutely. So it's everyone's favorite tournament of the year, the golfers are in Augusta, Georgia to compete for the coveted jacket. And DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action by giving you a shot to land in the green. This week, DraftKings is giving you 100-1 to 1 odds on the golfer of your choosing to finish in the top 10. If you haven't tried DraftKings, this is the time. Turning $1 into $100 is simple. Pick any golfer from this weekend's tournament and if they finish in the top 10, you cash $100. 101 odds on an offer like this doesn't come around often. So sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook now to get in on all of the action and choose your golfer before the tournament tees off Thursday morning. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code GOBLUE. When you sign up to turn $1 into $100, if the golfer of your choosing finishes in the top 10 of this weekend's tournament, that's code GOBLUE to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services Gambling Disorder Helpline at 800-270-7117. 21 and over only, Michigan only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full terms and conditions. So, Clint, we had some other news that was, that was at least from my standpoint, was pretty unwelcome. Uh, we learned that Giles Jackson has entered the, tra- the transfer portal and won't be returning to the Michigan football team. Yeah, I was... Really, really surprised by that. I, it's um, you know Giles has been one of the guys to make a pretty clear mark on both seasons and the nineteen and the twenty season as a young player. Um, and uh, it's it, it was frustrating to hear that, obviously, as a fan. And uh, you know, I, I think we will immediately feel the impact um, of his loss in the return game. You know, he he made critical plays uh as a kick returner in both seasons and uh was only going to get better at that i think um in the future so uh sorry to see him go 
hope uh hope that he is uh successful wherever he lands um but uh but not too successful if uh if it ends up coming back to bite michigan but um yeah that was a, a surprise and, and i agree that it was an unwelcome surprise always hope the best for players as they decide to transfer again you know we don't understand everything uh that goes into their decision making um from a fan standpoint giles was one of the most electrifying players that we've seen over the last several seasons um really disappointed you know i think uh when you add uh joe milton and giles jackson both deciding to transfer in this offseason those are two huge players that i thought would uh you know not only compete but have a major impact on the field for next year so definitely uh gonna miss that and you know from from a strategic standpoint um you know when you have a team like michigan that is trying to knock off a top tier program like ohio state one of the areas that that you can really do that in is in special teams right and you know i was thinking back when you look back on some of the greatest players that that we've seen during our lifetime you know Desmond Howard, Desmond Howard, Charles Woodson, not only were they great in their positions, but they also had a huge impact in special teams to to shift huge games. And, you know, as Michigan tries to claw back and uh, knock Ohio State off its perch in the Big Ten, really look into the areas of special teams. And, you know, we've seen flashes of brilliance from Giles Jackson. And again, I'm I, I was really disappointed. Um, again, wish him the best, but you know when you're when you're looking at an area that um, I'd say over the last five or ten years, Michigan has struggled occasionally at. Um, when you have a player like that who's shown um, not just potential but so much performance, really disappointing. Uh, definitely, definitely kind of hit me when, when I heard that he had decided to transfer. Yeah, I, that's that's definitely the case. There's the flip side of the coin is is you know you wonder what it is that uh, he didn't see the opportunity that he was looking for within um, within Michigan's program and going forward, and, and it's probably more specific to to being able to get onto the field in the the wide receiver role. You know, there's. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that we can uh, try to guess or kind of read the tea leaves as to what this means in that wide receiver room. Um, but there was pretty clear that you got guys like uh, Mike Sainristill and A.G. Henning and uh, Xavier Worthy coming in as a true freshman that that are potential uh, replacements for that same uh, speedy, explosive um, slot receiver type like Giles Jackson. Um, so there, there's always a chance that somebody else or, or a couple other players are emerging and, um, th- that Giles, uh, w- was slipping a little bit in terms of what he saw, uh, for an opportunity to, to continue to increase his role in the offense and not just on special teams. So, um, I, I think the, I'll take the optimistic take that that means that some other folks are emerging. Uh, where Giles Jackson had uh, had been, you know, successful in his limited time out there as a receiver. Um, you know, perhaps we're seeing uh, some other guys taking a step forward in in Josh Gaddis's offense, and you know, new guys will be the uh, providing the speed, hopefully, with uh, within the space. 
And again, when somebody decides to transfer, it's always an opportunity for someone else. So hopefully uh, some will, someone will step in and fill that role. Now, you know, one of the things that it does highlight, though, is that, you know, as much as the transfer portal is a much needed and, and, and a great opportunity for players who perhaps aren't fitting in or perhaps want to find a different opportunity elsewhere, um, I think we're seeing a flip side to it. Um, according to uh, the 247 Sports Database, uh, there are over 1,500 football players in the transfer portal right now. And the reality is is, not, is that not all those guys are going to land, right? They're not going to, not everybody is going to move to a better place. And, um, you know, especially when you look at what's happening in, in this COVID season, right? You have guys who are going to have an extra year of eligibility. Um, rosters, I think, are, I think there's going to be a, a log jam on, uh, on some of the, on a lot of the rosters, okay, across the country. So, you know, I wonder what kind of course correction or what kind of uh, thing is going to need to happen to make the transfer portal uh, more positive for players, right? And I know there's there's one point of view that said, hey, you know, players are, are taking their careers in their hands, and if it doesn't turn out well for them, well, they were the ones making the decision. Well, Clint, the problem with that is that the system is rigged always to the benefit of the NCAA and the schools, right? If a player decides to leave, um, you know, schools can always allow more players in or walk-ins on. You know, there, there are always more players and opportunities. And again, uh, when I look at this, it it's, again, and I don't, I don't want to say the transfer portal shouldn't be there, but I think there needs to be some kind of adjustment um, uh, to make it uh, a little more player friendly. And, and it's just one of the things that crossed my mind. And again, you know, you know that, you know, talents like Joe Milton and Giles Jackson are, are going to find a place and are, are going to have a chance to succeed somewhere. But when you see 1,500 players in, in the portal, um, you know for a certain percentage it, it's not going to work out well. Yeah, that's, you know, the simple truth of it uh, in terms of numbers, of course, that there there are going to be more players than there are spots. Um so I, I think time will, will help this shake out. You know, it was really um, such a paradigm shift to, to give players really any role in, in kind of initiating um, their, their transfer, right? Even when they, even before the, the uh, one-time free, you know, no sit-out um, transfer rule, takes place you know the the transfer portal's been around for a couple years and the traffic was was heavy so there are so many really major shifts happening regarding player mobility and how that affects their eligibility um that we really won't know uh any of the impact um until the dust settles i think uh there's there's just a lot that is changing at one time and to try to draw conclusions about what caused any particular outcome um especially if it's anecdotal about you know one player or, or a handful of players um is probably not going to be you know wildly accurate so 
we, we have to see, I think, what the long-term effects are for the players that enter the portal, actually take the transfers, go to a new place, how their uh, careers kind of um, progress, you know, before and after, um, what what the new opportunity provided for, you know, for players. Um, and, and then I think the market will correct, so to speak, uh, in terms of transfers. You know, the, the players will understand a little bit better, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, you know, for everybody. And they'll be able to make a more informed decision, um, very similar to, to guys at the end of their college career trying to decide whether to make the, the jump to the NFL. So um, I agree with you that it's going to be rocky right now and that there's still a tilt um, away from the players in terms of having the power to make your own decisions. Um, but I, I would advocate for for trying to figure out how to increase the uh, the accuracy of the information that players have when they're making these decisions, as opposed to trying to rein in uh, the power that they do have. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm not. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to to, to diminish to diminish their opportunity to do it. Um, you know, I I again, I'm trying to think about what kind of uh, extra features you could add to it, right? Because, um, you know, I, I think you're right. I think you make a great point. You know, these guys don't have the best information, right? So, for example, um, you know, on when guys are getting ready to go to the pro ranks, um, there have been adjustments made where they can get opinions, right? They can get, you know, find out kind of how do they how they rank, because one of the issues that you would um, that you would see, and, and yes, anecdotal, but I think it's true, is there's always uh, the relative or the uncle telling them they're going to be great, right? Just leave and get paid. And um, you know, if if you don't get drafted, uh, you, you know, you, you definitely have a, have a harder time. So it would be interesting to see what kind of extra features are added to the portal um, where players could have an idea of exactly where they're going to transfer to, right? What level, or maybe even a chance to, uh, to change their minds. Um, you know, I think one of the things that would be interesting is if there would be a, uh, a time where you can enter the portal and, uh, perhaps like, Hey, you're going to make a, a decision by this date. And, uh, you know, you're, you're going to, maybe you have the ability to put your name in for a month, right. And know what kind of offers you have and then make the decision whether you're going to, wh- whether you're going to leave or not. Um, I think one of the issues we have right now is this, the way that it's rolling, the way that it's constant, um, you really don't know when players are going to put their name in and, and, um, the opportunities are kind of inconsistent as well. So, um, a lot of things to work out, but, um, all in favor of the players having more power over their their careers, and I think having better information would be really key to help them in, in making the best decisions. Yeah, and another another really key point right now is even even in terms of providing information or, or what types of variables exist as, as these players are trying to make the um, these decisions. Right, I, I don't think that we know that either because we don't know um, how the coaches and schools and the NCAA at large are, are going to start managing the, the portal from, from their perspective, right? All of this increased traffic, 
you know, is kind of a flood of information on the uh, on the coaching staffs and, and recruiting staffs uh, as well. You know, and, and how is this, how all of that evolves and how coaches and schools start to try to process all of these different prospects or, or reprocess, reprocess them in some cases, right? It's going to look a lot like the explosion of recruiting information that um, has hit you know, uh, the, the, the public domain and, and is out there now for consumption uh, just in the last five and, and, you know, maybe 10 years, but especially in the last five years, um, until we know how coaches are going to use the portal from their side, that will help answer some questions on what it means for the players. So right now, again, I think it's kind of a lot is in the air and um, all the stakeholders involved um, are, are, are going to try to do what's best for them. But on a grand scale, I just I don't think that we know enough information to try to put any really rigid um, you know, changes to the system right now because we don't know which changes are going to have which uh, you know, effects on the whole system. So everybody's got to try to do the best that they can with the information they're given. But uh, the people that are thinking creatively – um, for themselves and for their organizations are, are going to be, you know, there's a lot of opportunity uh, for sure in the, the coming years because the people that start doing this well and kind of set the standard are going to be the ones that reap the, the biggest rewards from, from what's going on right now. Yep. A lot of players uh, may find that it was better to kind of tough it out and try to endure and get through whatever adversity they were facing um, and then making a, a maybe putting off that decision a little bit um, until they they have better information. So, well, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.